everyone, and welcome to the Plant Industry News Podcast, co-hosted by me, Shelby Ostriker, and Holly Hughes, with the Florida Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services Division of Plant Industry. Thanks for joining us. On today's episode, we'll hear from Dr. Trevor Smith from the Director's Desk and Dr. Patty Anderson, DPI's Head Botanist. It's pretty as a daisy, but look out, don't go crazy. It'll really do you well if you let it get under your skin. Poison ivy. Then stay tuned for news and announcements in the Division Digest. From the Director's Desk with Trevor Smith. Happy 2019, everyone. This is Dr. Trevor Smith in the director's office. I hope you all had a great start to your new year. And thanks for tuning in to our second episode of Plant Industry News. To kick off the new year here at the department, obviously you've probably all heard we have a new commissioner of agriculture, Nikki Freed. I had an opportunity to meet her uh, several times now, and I was actually up there for her inauguration and met a lot of the staff that, uh, that she's brought into the office. We had some great conversations. There was a, there's just a ton of energy up there. A lot of people uh, that are interested in what we do at the department, both on the consumer side of things as well as the ag side of things. Uh, but one of the best things I think about the team up there is if they don't know something, they will ask an expert. And they realize that we have this, this huge pool of expertise out there in uh, the various divisions. So. Uh, Greg and I, Greg Hodges, the assistant director, was there with me, and uh, we had a good time just meeting all the new staff and a lot of positive energy. Of course, uh, having a government shutdown in the you know the first few weeks of of a, a new commissioner makes things a little tough. But uh, on that front, one of the interesting things we're doing at the Division of Plant Industry to uh, help out our federal partners who are uh, furloughed right now is our fruit fly staff actually put together a plan to try and cover those trap lines that our USDA counterparts would normally run. And for, I think most everybody in the division knows, that is one of the most important jobs that we have, is uh, surveilling for fruit flies, exotic fruit fly pests, and then doing something about it when they show up. So when you're talking about weeks and weeks and weeks without a trap being checked, through no fault of our federal partners, that's not, not through their fault, they're just not considered uh, essential personnel, surprisingly enough. And so those traps just aren't being run. So um, being the innovators they are, our fruit fly staff came up with a plan to actually check those really high risk lines. Because if we went any length of time, say six, eight weeks without finding a fly, that goes from a million dollar six month program to possibly a year program and tens of millions of dollars. That's how important it is that we catch these things early. So tough times definitely for our, our USDA counterparts, but we are trying to help them out wherever we can. And the fruit fly program is one of those areas. So one of the things that I end up doing a lot of this time of year is running back and forth from Tallahassee to Gainesville. And that's because uh, the legislative session begins in early March, and this is the time when all of the subcommittees and committees in the House and the Senate meet 
And whenever they have questions about our budget or they have a question about uh, one of our programs, I go up there, I'll give a presentation or just answer questions. But you got to figure every two, four, six, eight years, there's just new people coming into all these committees. And something that the last group might have known a lot about, like Oriental Fruit Fly, maybe the next group hasn't had experience with that. So you kind of have to tell that story again. And of course, this is when we have to um, push our budget. And the budget, that's everything from Giant African Snail Program to just our general revenue funded positions, any new projects that we want to put forward. That all has to be discussed, put into the into the budget. The commissioner will push it forward. Then it has to go through the House, through the Senate, and then the last hurdle is avoiding a veto in the governor's office. So there's a long process, but we have a really well-established pattern with the division directors going up and working with our legislative staff to give those presentations to the appropriate people, always available for questions. And it's, it's, in my career, it's been a very smooth process. We don't always get everything we ask for, but we're always heard and, and given consideration. So that's, that's a big part of what I do uh, this time of year, and this year is no exception. Another thing that we do this time of year a lot of is, is we're trying to survey for CBS, that's citrus black spot. And that is a fungal disease that we have in southwest Florida. It's in a quarantine area, so you have to have special inspections before you can move fruit out of those areas. But this is the time of year when we can actually see the disease. It doesn't show up. It's very, very hard, almost impossible to see on leaves or to find it in leaf material on the ground. It's really the fruit. That's where you can see this fungus and really do something about it. So we have to survey uh, huge swaths of citrus each year, certify them to be able to move their fruit out of those CBS quarantine areas. And that involves tarping. Uh, they have to properly clean their trailers, the equipment, everything that comes in and out of that zone. It's uh, very, very specific regulations to dealing with that and it's looking like we're, we might have a, a small expansion again this year over the years it's expanded that quarantine has expanded very slowly but the thing to keep in mind about this program is even if it expands every year a little bit that's still another year we've given researchers to find a cure that's another year that folks outside of the quarantine can move their fruit to the eu or japan or korea all these places that would require uh, greater, more expensive regulations if you're actually found positive. So it's not always about eradication. It's a lot of times it's just finding a way to help our growers and help our industry uh, just so they can continue shipping until uh, an answer can be found. Hopefully we're looking at the same thing for greening. This has been uh, a very, very long process with citrus greening and um, more money has gone into this particular plant disease than just about any other plant disease in history. And um, there's a lot of great best management practices that have been developed over the years. So it's not as if all this funding has gone for nothing. I've kind of shifted here from citrus black spot to citrus greening, but being that we're talking about citrus diseases, it, I think it's important to recognize that, yes, there's not a silver bullet yet but you've got state regulatory agencies, you've got 
U.S. regulatory agencies, you've got universities, you've got private industry, you've got everybody working on this. And there have been a lot, there has been a lot of progress in how to keep a tree healthy long enough to get several years of, of a crop to market. And that's through best management practices, whether it's uh, antimicrobial sprays in combination with um, Asian citrusillid control, or it's soil amendments, or foliar treatments, or acidifying the water. Uh, there's just all kinds of different techniques to help keep your trees healthy in spite of the disease. So citrus is on the ropes, no doubt about it. Uh, we've lost a lot of acreage over the years, but we're replanting thousands and thousands of trees every single year. And I think with a lot of these best management practices in place, Again, that's one of those things that will hold us over until we can find the silver bullet. Or we have a genetically modified tree, and we finally get to that point where the public, the growers, the labels, the brands, everybody can accept a GMO tree. Um, this could get us to that point. So citrus greening, citrus black spot, and of course good old citrus canker is always out there. And we've had a, the last two years have been very, very bad for citrus canker. After Hurricane Irma came through, it really, I think, helped spread canker all over the place. Canker is spread by uh, wind-driven rain. So you get 110-mile-an-hour winds and lots and lots of rain, and you just blow canker all over the place. So canker is found throughout Florida, but it's managed. And it can cause a problem if it gets out of hand. And uh, the last couple of years, we've had a lot of canker out there. And uh, we attribute a lot of that to the hurricane, as well as just wet years after that. We've had some really wet um, years the last two years, and that just didn't help anything. So this time of year, we've got a lot, uh, certainly, pest eradication and control. The Bureau of Pest Eradication and Control, they're doing a lot of work out there in our citrus groves, doing these surveys, looking for these diseases I talked about, but also any other kind of exotic diseases. There's several out there that we're concerned about. Citrus leprosis, it's in Mexico. They had a find in Texas three years ago. They think they eradicated it, but it could still be hiding out there. Citrus variegated chlorosis, that is down in South America and also moving up through Central America. Also something we're out looking for. So we talked about fruit fly programs earlier and how important surveillance is there. Same goes for citrus. We need to have these folks inspecting and surveying out in those citrus groves all the time because canker showed up, citrus black spot showed up, greening showed up. They all showed up even though we've got a lot of regulations in place to try and keep citrus diseases out. So we need to be there again early, early detection, rapid response. That's the name of the day. So that's really all I had this time around. So um, everybody, thanks for listening. And I look forward to talking to you again next month. Hey guys, Holly here, the social media coordinator for the Division of Plant Industry. Be sure to check out the DPI blog post featuring a how-to on preparing your plants for a freeze this winter. Blog posts cover a variety of topics and are published weekly at fdaxdpi.wordpress.com. On this month's episode, we have Dr. Patty Anderson as our guest. 
Dr. Anderson is a botanist who serves as the head of the botany section at the Division of Plant Industry. She grew up on a farm, but attended school studying sociology and literature. In 1998, Dr. Anderson graduated from the University of Florida with a PhD in botany and began her career working for the Florida Museum of Natural History in science education. In 2006, she saw an opportunity to focus more on plants with the Division of Plant Industry. Dr. Anderson has worked as the section head since 2010, and we are so excited to have her with us today. Dr. Anderson has a few hidden talents that will be revealed later in this episode, so stay tuned. I was going to ask if there was any specific experience that you would attribute your love of plants for why you wanted to study botany. Well, there are a few. Uh, My mother had an incredible green thumb. She would sort of touch a plant and it would grow and multiply. I had an aunt who lived nearby and I would visit her most Saturdays and we would walk around her yard and she would tell me the names of all the plants and we would wait for them to bloom and it was just a lovely experience with her. And then when I was in high school, I had a biology teacher and she was very rigorous for a high school teacher and she also had been a graphic artist in her past and encouraged people to draw what they were studying. And I found that really made you look closely at whatever you happen to be studying. And um, that led me to be more and more interested in biology. And so even though my interests diverged for a while, those are the things I think that are central to me. I come back to. I think that um, having a green thumb is a skill that a lot of people wish they had. Um, so that's really that's really cool. Yeah, absolutely. So tell us a little bit more about your um, journey here at the Division of Plant Industry. Um, you talked about how you you got here, but what what kept you here? What made you want to stay and and move up? Well, the Division of Plant Industry is one of the few places in our local area where you can have work as a botanist if you're not an academic botanist. So I enjoy the regulatory aspects where we're looking at plants from all over the state and with the goal of making sure plants that are available to the public are of the highest quality. And if there are problems, we help identify those problems and address them. So it feels like you have a mission as well as the enjoyment of following your profession. We also are responsible for protecting endangered plants and uh, protecting against noxious weeds and invasive species to some degree um, through the permitting process. Through the <laughs> through the permitting process that we're engaged in. Yeah. You serve on a couple of boards too. Um, some that deal with endangered species as well. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, the uh, state has an Endangered Plant Advisory Council. Okay. I'm not actually a member of that council, but I serve as a DPI staff member to give them information and provide uh, botanical insights, descriptions of plants, or explanations of conservation science that might be requested. And then I do serve on the Noxious Weed Review Committee for the state of Florida. 
and that includes five people, three from DPI, and two who are scientists, one in the natural sciences, one weed scientist from the University of Florida. And we review applications uh, that people from the general public can send in suggesting something be added to our noxious weed list. Often they have assistance from a county extension agent or from someone at the university to provide the information, but anyone can send in that kind of request. Good. <clears throat> so uh, when you were growing up and completing school and your degree, um, were there a lot of women completing the same degree as you, or were there um, a lot of women in the scientific field in general whenever you were coming through? Well. I am a member of the older generation, and in a sense, I have two stories. Uh, when I was growing up, math was a scary thing, mm -hmm. uh, but math is crucial for science. So when I was an undergraduate, I didn't do well in calculus, and so was directed towards social science and humanities, and so my degree was in social science, sociology, and then um, I also just loved reading and have uh, majored in literature as well. But there was a kind of barrier to get past the mathematics to be allowed to study higher levels of, of science. And then later on, when I decided to study botany, I found I could do the mathematics because I wanted to so much go back to school. And when I was in botany school, that was in the 1990s, from 92 to 96. And there, there were just as many women as men. But botany is an interesting field because we have a tradition of women plant explorers and botanical illustrators who traveled and sought out unusual plants for their illustrations. So there are women who went to the Amazon in the early 1900s, even the 1700s, uh, there have been women botanists who were ex plant explorers. So women have held high esteem in this field, even if they weren't in the academic fields and weren't the professors or the students there. They've, they've been recognized for their contributions. And things changed from the 1970s to the 1990s even though they still aren't perfect. <laughs> They're continuously changing. We definitely see that in this day and age. Um, so Patty, what does a typical day look like for you here at DPI? Well, as I mentioned, we get samples from around the state. So any day we might have 50 to 100 samples to identify. Wow. I have help doing that, and uh, I might just be called on to look at samples that are unusual or maybe they don't arrive in the best condition and I might have the experience to recognize them. So part of the day is looking at plants and identifying them. Then we might, I might collect plants or review plants that have been collected by other people to add to our herbarium. Uh, the herbarium is a collection of dried plants much like a library of plants for us to use as a reference. Um, so I might do various tasks associated with the herbarium. 
maybe mounting new specimens or um, seeing that a name that's on a specimen needs to be changed and it's called annotating a specimen. We add the new name and uh, the date and the name of the person who did it so in the future people can look back and see how the taxonomy has changed over time. Uh, I might review permits when people apply for um, permission to harvest endangered plants or commercially exploited plants. Recently we've had a lot of activity with saw palmetto uh, and people wanting to harvest the berries of that plant for the uh, medicinal plant market. Uh, but throughout the year, people do research on endangered plants. We have several botanical gardens that do conservation work that requires them to collect seeds from endangered plants, and they all have to have permission to do that kind of work. Then if people want to study noxious weeds, maybe they're studying herbicides or natural enemies of the noxious weeds, they have to have permission uh, they apply for a permit and they explain how will they collect these weeds in a way that doesn't allow them to spread, how will they contain them and keep them from being inadvertently dispersed again, and then what will they do with them at the end of their research project. So we get many of those permit applications every year. Um, then I might be writing an article we have publications like Triology, which is a quarterly report from our Bureau. We have circulars that give information to uh, DPI staff or to the general public. Um, and then we have requests for information. There are emails from the public or from inspectors who want to understand any kind of thing botanical, and the email gets to me eventually. And we also have a helpline and people from the public can call that line when they have questions. With so many uh, facets of your job and your duties um, on a day-to-day -day basis, who would you say you interact with the most? Um, would it be inspectors or uh, scientists from the university or here at DPI or the public or maybe all of them? Uh, well, in fact, botany is a kind of solitary career much of my day would be looking at plants or writing and not interacting okay. with people constantly. But I would say our biggest customer for botanical information is the Plant Inspection Bureau. And we often have questions about how we can help them or, or what information they need. Uh, the samples are, for the main most part come from them. Mm -hmm. So we have a lot of interaction with them. We also deal with permits that they're involved in. Um, then we have questions from the entomologist when they want to know, is this plant related to some other plant because they know an insect pest is on the second plant. Okay. And so it helps them understand the biology better if they can understand the plant relationships because plants have families and they share some characteristics, like we share maybe brown hair or blue eyes in our families. They might share some similar chemical composition or some defenses against insects or other characteristics that would make them similar. 
Very nice. Um, so it sounds like you interact with a lot of people all the time. You touch on everything and you pretty much touch um, every section too. So what's your favorite part about your job? Well, I like to say botany puts the plant in plant industry. <laughs> so we like being at the center of all this activity. But for me personally, I would say um, when I have a plant that I've never seen before and I can figure out what it is, that's like solving the New York Times Sunday crossword. It's just <laughs> a pleasure. It's like, you know, you hit your head against the wall for an hour and then there it is. It's like wonderful. In a different way, in a sort of calm, peaceful, zen-like way, I really enjoy mounting plants for the herbarium. It's a very simple task, but it takes concentration, and it's both scientific and artistic. Mm. It has the simplest tools. You have a dried plant, you put glue on it, and put it on a piece of paper, and it dries. <laughs> It's like arts and crafts. Yeah, but it's essential. It's mm -hmm. how we do our work. And you can arrange it in a way that's pleasing to the eye. Sometimes the specimens dry in a, in a way that you can still see the color of flowers. Oh, wow. And there are times you think, should I put it in the herbarium or should I put it on the wall? <laughs> of course, the answer is we do put it in the herbarium all the time, but some of them are quite lovely. And that's a very nice way to relax and feel you're accomplishing a lot, but avoiding stress. How large is the is this collection? We have uh, over thirteen thousand dried plants, which is actually a small collection. Okay. Uh, herbaria can have a moderate moderate size ones can have a hundred thousand or five hundred thousand. Wow. The largest, like Paris, New York, London, have several millions. And is this just Florida native plants, or is this something that inc includes, you know, everything from everywhere? We focus on Florida plants, plants that our inspectors are likely to see and likely to send to us. So Florida natives and plants cultivated in Florida. Okay. But Florida gets plants from many places. So we do have plants from the Caribbean, we have a lot of plants from California because a lot of agriculture is done in California and we're constantly shipping plants back and forth. So I would say California is probably the second most common state that's represented here. Okay. Um, so what would you think is your most memorable or um, favorite moment or experience that you've had in your job so far? You know I'm old. I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> well, in that instance, though, Patty, um, we do know you have some hidden talents, too, though. So you, um, what are those talents that you maybe bring to your job that um, people would hopefully know you by? I knew you my first week um, by this, but what's that? what are those talents that you can share with us? Well, I've always wanted to learn to sing. And so about eight years ago, I started to take singing lessons. And I found that if you study, you can learn. 
And uh, even though my vocal talents are modest, I really enjoy singing, and I learned to play the ukulele as well. Wow. And so I have an audience that cannot escape. <laughs> <laughs> so whenever I give a presentation, I you know, ask for questions, I wait for questions, but it always seems there's about three minutes left <laughs> so that I can sing a song. So I make up songs about plants or I use, song, use music from other songs and change them so I can sing songs about plants. What's been your favorite song that you've written about plants? Well, there are a couple. Poison Ivy. Poison Ivy is one you can use on many occasions mm -hmm. because it has a botanical lesson. So, it's pretty as a daisy, but look out, don't go crazy. It'll really do you when, if you let it get under your skin. Poison Ivy, Poison Ivy, if you touch You'll be weeping, poison ivy might be creeping around. Measles make you bumpy, mumps will make you lumpy, chicken pox will make you jump and twitch. Yeah, a common cold will cool ya, and whooping cough will fool ya. But poison ivy's gonna make you itch. You're gonna need an ocean of calamine lotion. You'll be scratching like a hound the minute you start to mess around. Poison ivy, poison ivy. If your blisters are weeping, poison ivy has been creeping around. Late at night, while you're sleeping, poison ivy could come creeping around. Such wonderful talent. Such <laughs> wonderful hidden talents we have here at DPI. Very hidden. Some should remain hidden. hidden. <laughs> Not yours. Not oh, yours. Thank you. What advice would you give young people that are still in school or just beginning their careers about working in the scientific field or for a regulatory agency? Well, if people are in school, I would say the, the thing I would recommend is that you take every opportunity to, to, to do two things to write whatever your class is, write something about it, and to learn to argue your point of view. Thinking logically and being able to express an argument is vital in any scientific field, and I think in any part of life. Um, and then in the regulatory world, it's important to learn to communicate to recognize the audience, the people you're working with, and the people you're working for. Uh, you need to understand the point of view of the people being regulated. Because we often think, these are our rules. We need to follow them exactly. 
which is true. But we also need to understand the people who are making their livelihood who are impacted by those regulations. And there might be flexibility. I mean, many of our rules are written with um, some ability to make exceptions, to consider humanitarian values. There are good reasons from time to time for letting something happen in a way that um, suits a situation uh, that might not have been envisioned by the people who wrote the rule. Sure. Yeah, because as a regulatory agency, I feel like we our rules are meant to protect the public and as the the plant industry our rules are written to protect our native plant life and um, the things that grow in Florida and even agricultural products Um, and yes I totally agree with you on that. There's an example Um, we have a rule for prohibited aquatic plants that permission to possess them can only be by uh, research institutions, government organizations, or wastewater treatment facilities that use uh, plants as part of the treatment. But we had a request from an animal rehabilitation center to allow them to use water hyacinth to feed injured manatees. So they were essentially disposing of the evil plant and helping one of our endangered animals. Um, So we found that with proper uh, controls, they could collect the plants, which were very close by. We felt they weren't uh, likely to spread them to new waters. And they were very concerned about protecting the environment as well. So while that particular use wasn't listed, we did have the flexibility for humanitarian or educational purposes to make exceptions. And that, while the the manatee isn't necessarily human, (laughs) we didn't have a word for (laughs) animalitarian benefits. Very true. Well, so wrap this conversation up, I want to talk about something that Shelby and I, found ourselves in conversation about um, a few days ago and I think that a lot of people were probably uh, unaware just like I was whenever we were having this um, conversation but I want to hit the people with some truth so I learned that pumpkins and some other what I thought were vegetables are actually fruits because of their botanical structure and so I learned something new and I thought that you as our botanist could explain the difference between what we know is fruits and vegetables because I'm sure a lot of people were just as clueless as I was. Well it's not really being clueless it's just a different language. Mm -hmm. Uh, You're probably familiar with common names of plants So someone in the Northeast might call a blue bonnet something different from a plant that grows in Texas. It's called a blue bonnet. Okay. Well, if you go to the grocery store, you'll have many aisles. You'll have things called vegetables and things called fruits. 
But if you take a botany class and learned about plant structures, you would not hear the word vegetable. You'd hear vegetative parts and reproductive parts. Okay. So reproductive parts include the fruit with the seeds because most plants reproduce by seeds. Anything that contains the seeds is an expanded ovary and that's a fruit. Yeah. So it could be a bean, a pea, zucchini, squashes, cucumbers. We we looked up the list. We were so fascinated. Yeah. Any flowering plant mm-hmm. has a fruit. So grass has flowers. It produces fruits. There are a special kind of fruit called a grain or caryopsis. But you won't hear botanists talking about vegetables. Vegetative parts are the non-reproductive parts, the leaves, the stems. Even the petiole, the leaf stalk. Uh, If you think of celery, what's the big part of the celery? It's the part that connects those tiny leaves to the base or the the bulbous stem. Mm -hmm. That's a leaf stalk, a leaf petiole. It's a vegetative part. Well, we think of fruits and vegetables in a whole new light now. That's right, yes. We do. Definitely. Enjoy your tomatoes. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Patty. And thank you so much for taking the time out to not only share your day and your life here at DPI, but also to share your hidden talents and beautiful singing voice. We really appreciate it. Um, and we just want to thank you again. Thank you so much. travel by land sea or air ask can i bring it and declare agricultural items with your help we can safeguard natural resources and protect the food supply from invasive pests and disease whatever your destination enjoy the journey and remember don't pack a pest Division Digest. This month marks new beginnings as we celebrate Dr. Sun and his retirement from the Division of Plant Industry. Dr. Sun worked at DPI for more than 20 years. He started in Miami with the Citrus Canker Eradication Program and a few years later moved to Gainesville to the pathology section in the Bureau of Entomology, Nematology, Plant Pathology, and Botany where he worked mostly on citrus diseases. Dr. Sun, we want to thank you for your service and dedication to the division and to the Florida Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services and wish you the best in your retired life in China. The Florida State Fair will be held from February 7th to February 18th in Tampa, Florida. Come down and visit our Division of Plant Industry booth featuring our apiary and entomology sections located in insect encounters near the Ag Hall of Fame. We'll have a live honeybee observation hive and pinned insect cases. Stop by to learn more about the Division of Plant Industry. I want to thank Commissioner Adam Putnam for his leadership and service these past eight years as he served the department and Florida's citizens with dedication and understanding. All of us at the Division of Plant Industry want to wish you luck and success with your future endeavors. 
Thank you again for your service to the state of Florida and its citizens. Thanks for tuning in to Plant Industry News. We appreciate our special guests for keeping us informed and updated. Follow us on social media at FDAXDPI. Be sure to subscribe and rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have any questions, suggestions, or announcements you think should be included, email us at dpi-blog at freshfromflorida.com. This podcast was produced in part by Olivia Doyle, Holly Hughes, and Shelby Ostriker. Don't bug us. We'll have another episode next month.